or you're helping with kids, you guys can take them back now. Holy 
begin our time, Laura's going to come up and read from 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You guys can have a seat. So thank you, Laura, for leading us in that scripture. Good morning, everyone. As I mentioned earlier, um, obviously, I'm not Jeremy. Jeremy is not here this weekend. Uh, he and Deidre and Lily and Cohen are out of town. And so I guess I should say thank you, Sam, for filling in for me so that I can fill in for Jeremy. <clears throat> Um, as you know, those of you that have been with us the last couple of weeks, we um, spent a, a season um, kind of considering what it means to be in community together. We spent four or so weeks, um, what we thought was kind of a timely word for us, just given the last year or so of our lives where we've been um, kind of spread out, um, to use the language of First Peter, scattered, dispersed, um, kind of alienated from one another, obviously due to a global pandemic. And so we spent the last several weeks just trying to reorient ourselves, recalibrate ourselves. What does it look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus together um, in Dallas, 2021, um, on the other side of this kind of um, crucible event that we all kind of walked through together over the last 18 or so months. But today we're actually going to begin a new series in First Peter. Um, some of which Laura just read for us, um, which, by the way, you're welcome to turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. Uh, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so we'll spend the next five or so Sundays looking at this letter together, um, not necessarily going through it verse by verse, line by line, but we are going to be kind of drawing out some of the, the crucial kind of main themes that Peter has kind of front of mind, top of mind, um, as he writes this letter. And so let me just begin by asking you this. Um, how is everyone? How are you doing this morning? How are you doing like right now in this more general season of life that we're going to start calling the new normal or post-pandemic or post-COVID? I'm sure there'll be funnier names that we'll uh, eventually kind of coin, but it's nice to see your smiling faces more and more now that uh, masks are kind of being phased out a little bit. So, I, think, I don't think any of us think we're necessarily out of the woods just yet, 
Um, but I do think we would all agree, at least to some extent, we're starting to kind of turn a corner on this whole pandemic thing, right? Um, I know I'm glad for it. I'm excited for whatever comes next. I would just kind of like the last 18 months or so to just be behind us in the rear view. But as I'm sure you all know, you're all mature adults. Um, it's not as though the last 18 months or so will just come and go without consequence. It's not like now that it's over, not just mentioning the pandemic, but everything that's happened in our country and in our world in the last 18 or so months, it's not as though we just kind of shut the door on that and walk into the future and pretend that nothing ever really happened, that we haven't all been kind of forever changed by the things that have happened in the last year or so. <clears throat> so just to kind of re recap a little bit, obviously global pandemic, all of that, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking more generally than that. A country divided by issues around race, politics, Injustice. January 6th of this year, we watched a group of men and women storm our nation's capital. And then, of course, kind of zooming in a little bit, uh, in addition to the kind of more corporate, national, kind of newsworthy stuff that happened in our world, we've all experienced our own kind of more personal, individual struggles over the last year or so. Whether we've faced various illness, loss, grief, maybe the uncertainty of employment and income, or even just the anxiety about trying to plan for an uncertain future. You know, we had several conversations, or I had several conversations with various people last year about there's, there's a horizon that I can't see past in my life right now because of all these various things that are going on in the world. I can't look around the corner to 2022 or to 2021 because life felt like it had been placed on pause. And if the last year or so taught us anything, I would hope, at least for those of us that call ourselves Christians, we would all kind of agree that it showed us how desperately we need Jesus. Case in point, about around this time last year, you were probably watching Tiger King on Netflix. So there you go. That just proves the point that we all need a little bit more Jesus. And I actually think in many ways it's really only now, as we've got a little bit of distance, as we're starting to get some hindsight about everything that's happened since maybe February of last year, it's only now that we can kind of begin to start the process of making sense of it. That as the dust begins to settle, um, that as we begin to kind of emerge and um, come out of whatever the last year was for you and for me, it's only now that we can kind of begin to even have some sort of clarity about how it's going to shape us, what, how we're going to be different moving forward. And so I thought we would just begin this morning kind of just in some kind of group process, if that makes sense. So I invite you to just kind of get comfortable. This won't take but just a few minutes. But I'm just going to ask a few, few questions to kind of help get us going as we kind of reflect um, and um, assess kind of where we are all at, where we've come from, where we're at, and where we kind of hope to go. So you're welcome to close your eyes. It's not necessary per se, but just take a minute and remember back to what probably feels like a lifetime ago to February 2020. 
So this would have been pre-COVID, about a month or so before the first stay-at-home order. Try to remember back to the person you were then. What was your emotional and spiritual and relational health at that time? Do you feel as though the person that you were then was more or less healthy than you are now? In other words, what is the condition of your soul today by comparison? No judgment, no assessment, or no um, judgment, no guilt, just an honest assessment. How are you? How is your soul? How are you doing? How are your relationships? How are your relationships with those you call family, those you call friend? How is your relationship with God? How many of us feel as though maybe the last year was an opportunity? We thought this is an opportunity to get closer to my family, get closer to friends that I can actually be in contact with. How many of us thought this is an opportunity for me to really draw close to God with all this extra time, all this space? And how many of us feel like maybe it was a missed opportunity? How much of what happened in the last several months, whether because of a pandemic or maybe just the headlines, the things that occupied our news feeds, how much of what happened in the last several months drew you closer to God? And how much of it felt like it pulled you in the other direction? Did the circumstances of your life over the last 18 months or so expose anything in you that surprised you? Were you surprised at what you found, at who you found yourself to be as life got difficult, as the stressors mounted? Did you like who you were or how you rose or didn't to the occasion? And again, this isn't a condemnation. This isn't a a practice in self-loathing. But it is probably healthy to consider where we've been, where we are, and where we hope to go. And this is one of the reasons why I'm excited. If you're closed to your eyes and stuff, you can open them now or move on. But this is one of the reasons why I'm excited to begin 1 Peter with you this morning, because I actually think um, this letter in particular has a lot to say to us in our particular moment, given everything that's happened over the last year and a half. And I think Peter has good news for you. However you answered that series of questions, however you're feeling, I think Peter has good news to share with us. I think this letter is good for us and kind of timely for us for two reasons. Reason number one, the author Peter, um, he's kind of the person perfect person for us to hear from right now, right? So maybe as you reflected on the last year or so, you felt a bit discouraged, maybe some disappointment. Maybe things didn't go as you planned. Maybe you didn't 
um, turn out to be quite as uh, invulnerable as you thought. Things got difficult. But remember, Peter, who writes this letter, is the same Peter who initially refused to let Jesus wash his feet, who was actually rebuked by Jesus and basically called Satan because he refused to acknowledge or he didn't understand why it was that Jesus had to go and die. It's the same Peter who kind of rushes in in the Garden of Gethsemane and cuts the guard's ear off because he's just kind of thick-headed and doesn't, still doesn't get what Jesus is all about. So Jesus rebukes him for that. It's the same Jesus who re- re- denied, sorry, it's the same Peter who denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And even after all that, after Jesus restores Peter, right, there's that kind of, um, I find it to be kind of a touching scene where they're on the beach and, you know, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. And they do this whole thing three times so that he's redeemed, he's restored. Even after all this, after Jesus redeems Peter and then commissions him and, you know, basically confirms and affirms him in his apostleship, even after that, years later, Paul has to rebuke Peter because he's basically engaging in like racist practices and he refuses to eat with the Gentiles. This is the Peter that writes this letter. And the truth is, Peter probably gets kind of a bad rap. I don't, I think we often think of him like he's the most human of all the men and women in the Bible. And I just think he gets the most airplay. I don't know that he's any more or less human than anyone else we come across in the Bible. But I think wherever you find yourself today, whether you're struggling, triumphing, overcoming, rejoicing, or grieving, I think it suffice to say that Peter has been there. That he writes as someone who has experienced all the ups and downs, all the highs and lows, all the trials and tribulations that come with following Jesus. So that's reason number one I think this letter might be important for us. Reason number two is, is actually who Peter is writing to. The church that Peter writes to, like us, has recently experienced a great deal of disruption and disorientation. They have suffered. They have experienced disillusionment. They have experienced confusion. Of course, their suffering is categorically different than ours would have been over the last year or so. But nonetheless, they are a church that is now kind of caught in a middle. They're coming from some experience that they shared together, and now they're having to learn how to walk into the future together. They've literally been scattered, dispersed. Peter uses these words a few different times throughout the letter, scattered, dispersed, alienated from one another. And this is not only physically, but these, this church has been um, scattered and alienated politically, economically, and socially. So Peter refers to them as strangers and foreigners. So I say this because I, I don't know how many, um, I don't know about you all, but several times over the course of the last 18 months or so, I've kind of felt a bit like a stranger, a bit like a foreigner. 
a bit homeless, I think would be the word I would use. <clears throat> so whether it was, you know, watching the exploits of the far left or the far right, whether it was the radical secular humanism that became so prominent, or it was the fundamental religious dogmatism, I always kind of felt a bit in the middle, a little stranded. So whether it was social issues, political issues, issues regarding masks and vaccines, presidents and elections, science, religion, the church, economic stimulus packages, the acceptable number of people at any given social gathering, whatever the issue may have been, I tended to find myself stuck in a middle place and didn't see myself represented in any of the conversations. Obviously, these are complicated issues. I don't pretend to have it all figured out. But my guess is, my suspicion is, is that as you follow the way of Jesus and you begin to approach these very complicated issues thoughtfully, patiently, lovingly, with nuance, you begin to take these moderate positions, you begin to feel slightly marginalized. I know I did. Because nowadays, it's only the loudest, the most extreme, the most radical voices that get heard. And so I know some of you are thinking, this feels uh, a little bit strange to equate the um, exile or the foreigner um, aspect of Peter's letter to our current situation as Christians in 2021. And that's, that's a fair um, critique. But as a quick aside, there's a, quite a bit of work has actually been done on 1 Peter, trying to make sense of what Peter means when he refers to the Christians in this church, or these churches rather, as foreigners, exiles, strangers. And most of us have probably heard it interpreted this way. We're citizens not of this world, but we're citizens of heaven. And so we live by a different set of rules. And so as we sojourn here on earth, awaiting you know, to arrive at our future true home, that we feel exiled and strange and foreign. And of course, that's true. But there are other commentators and scholars that argue that uh, Peter actually has in mind, and probably even more so in mind, the very real and present socioeconomic and political status of the churches that he writes to. So it's not only their spiritual homelessness that Peter wants to kind of talk about, but it's the ways in which they're beginning and um, increasingly being socially and politically excluded. And so I suggest to you that as we kind of read this letter together over the next month or so, that we may do ourselves a disservice if we read this letter and only or kind of merely allegorize what Peter has to say as this world is not my home, therefore I live into a value system of some other place and some other time. <clears throat> and so if we don't consider how it might to speak to us regarding our very real situation, our very real um, earthly, if you will, the issues that face us, that we might be missing out. So Peter writes to a church that has walked through suffering, that is now faced with the task of continuing on together in the aftermath of what they've just been through. 
All of that to say that in many ways, they were a church asking the same kinds of questions that a lot of us find ourselves asking. On the other side of COVID, on the other side of whatever the last year was for you, now what? Who am I now? Where do I go from here? What's next? How do we reorient, reorient ourselves in a world that feels drastically different and drastically changed? How do we find our bearings again? Or to put it rather crudely and maybe on a more personal level, is this what salvation looks like? Because I thought it would be easier than this. And so look with me at verse 3, what Laura just read for us. And let's see, how does Peter begin addressing these kinds of questions? Peter begins with hope. In verse 3 we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <clears throat> so I think we have two tasks before us this morning. Um, first, we should take an honest look at where our hope is at. Where is our hope at currently? And second, perhaps we ought to consider how that hope will not only influence and shape our future, but how does that hope shape us in the present? So first, where is our hope at currently? So this is going to be kind of a cheesy um, example. And so, I don't know, it's a bit too on the nose, so I just feel silly about it, but... I'll share it with you anyways. So several surveys and news outlets, you've probably all seen them. They've done these polls where they ask people, like, what are you most looking forward to now that COVID's done? Like, you may have seen it on the news or on the internet or something. And so um, I've kind of perused those over the last week or so. Um, and here's kind of my very unscientific meta-analysis of all these surveys, right? A few things kind of stand out. Most Americans are looking forward most to traveling, going to the movies, going to concerts, eating in groups at restaurants, shopping, and attending sporting events. Those are the things that kind of rise to the top as like those are the most important things or the things we're looking, the mo looking forward to the most. So why am I telling you this? Maybe it seems trite. But I think it's very easy. I know we've had a, I've had a few conversations like this it's very easy for us to lose sight of the living hope we have in Jesus, specifically in this time. Because I'm sure many of us have just kind of been sitting around waiting for COVID to kind of be over, right? We spent the last 12 months, I mean, surely I'm not alone in having this thought, okay, once COVID's over, then I can get back to normal life. I just gotta make it to the end, and once it's over, then I can be happy again, then I can be normal again, then things will pick back up for me. And so now, as the pandemic seems to be coming to a close, there's kind of this void of hope left to be filled. This whole time I've just been waiting on COVID to end, COVID seems to be ending, so now what? And we immediately kind of turn and start looking for other things, right? I know I do this, um, 
I just do this in life in general, pandemic aside. I kind of live my life vicariously looking forward to the next thing, you know, the next vacation, the next opportunity, the next weekend, whatever it might be. So like I said, that's kind of a silly example, but let's try a different example. <clears throat> so another kind of group process exercise like we did before, except this one will just have one question. So you can close your eyes if you want to. If that helps you focus, you don't have to, though. But how would you finish this sentence? I would be happy and fulfilled if only I had complete the sentence for yourself. Say that again. How would you finish this sentence? I would be happy and fulfilled if only I had this. I'll give you a minute to just think about that. What, how would you finish that sentence? Be honest with yourself. The Sunday school answer is obviously Jesus face to face. So if that's your answer, you should be uh, teaching this text. And not me. But however you finish that sentence, chances are pretty good that right now, whatever that thing is, that is your functional hope at the moment. That whatever that thing is, that is what is governing and guiding and directing your life. It's propelling you into the future. It's carrying you into tomorrow, and it's giving you purpose and meaning for your life. Maybe for some of you, uh, it had something to do with family goals, family aspirations. Maybe it had to do with your career, the next promotion, the next kind of rung on the career ladder. Maybe it had to do with your stage of life. Maybe you just feel stuck. Maybe it had to do with your finances. Maybe it had to do with your health. Advertisers and marketers actually know this all too well, right? They literally sell you on the things you're hoping for. That's how they get you to buy a product, buy an experience, to spend your money. They hold something out to you and say, you can put your hope in this. Then you will be happy. Then you will be fulfilled. But again, you're all mature, smart adults. You know better. So you take the trip, you buy the thing, you get the promotion, you buy the house, you make the money, you do all the things. Hope fulfilled makes the heart healthy. So the proverb goes, no, that's, that's not what it says. <clears throat> you get the thing that you've longed for, that you've worked for, that you've hoped for, and it just doesn't do the trick. So just think about some of the issues I mentioned earlier, um, you know, all these social, political, kind of personal issues that we all kind of faced and um, kind of had in front of us last year. I mean, how many of these were the result of misplaced hope? How much of our conflict, how much of our disappointment, of our grief was the result of placing our hope in the wrong things? Because... 
all of these things that we tend to put our hope in are just that. They're just things. They're circumstantial. They're, circum they're circumstances. The hope Peter speaks of here, a living hope, is radically different. It is something that actually carries us through every circumstance. It itself is not a circumstance. It carries us through our circumstances. It's the kind of hope that sustains us in all circumstances. <laughs> I'm watching you, Chris. <laughs> By definition, if your hope is merely circumstantial, it can't carry you through every circumstance. Circumstance. I can't say that word right for some reason. But the Christian hope is living. It is living because Jesus is living. Friends, our hope is not in a circumstance, it's not in a thing, but it is in a person, a resurrected Jesus Christ. So consider for yourself, where is your hope at? What are you hoping in? So we've considered where our hope is, where it might be, where it needs to be maybe adjusted. And as we close, which this won't take much longer, we need to consider one more thing, and that is how a living hope can shape not only our future, but our present. Because here's the thing about hope. It's not only this kind of future-oriented thing. Hope is more than something we look forward to, something that we confidently desire or expect. It's not something that's just merely out there in the distance, off in the future somewhere. No, a living hope, specifically the Christian hope of Jesus Christ, is something that is present with you now. Because if our hope is a living Christ, it means that he is present to us now, in this moment. He is present to us in our sufferings, in our failings, in the difficulties we face, in the trials that we go through. So look at verse 6 with me. Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so no doubt, again, this is a familiar verse to many of us. Typically, we read this, and the thought train goes something like this. <clears throat> so we go through trials. These are the fires that purify us, they remove impurities from us, they melt us down, if you will, and shape us into something new, right? The image is one of metallurgy or blacksmithing. So I think we have a slide for this. Typically, we think about this verse in this way. We're the metal, we get poured into the crucible, which the crucible, by the way, is this little cup right here. That's where the metal goes into. Then it gets put into the kiln or the fire, it gets heated up, there it gets melted down, 
and what's left gets formed into something, shaped into something new. But here's something I don't think we often think about. Does the metal get shaped? Does it get formed in the fire? Or after? <clears throat> so like, if a blacksmith was going to make a sword or a shield or whatever, a horseshoe, does he shape that thing while it's still in the crucible, while it's still in the fire? Or does he pull it out of the fire first, place it on an anvil, and then begin the process of shaping? Of course, sometimes it takes, you know, you've got to return to the fire a couple times, but the point is, the shaping actually takes place out of the fire. On an anvil. It takes time, repetition, a fine attention to detail, and so here's the point. If we all want to think about, and you may not, but for the sake of uh, the point, if we all were to think about last year, the last 18 months, as our own kind of crucible, as our own kind of fiery trial that we all kind of experienced together, then what does that mean about where we are at now as we come out of that trial, as we come out of the fire? What I hope that you see is this. It's actually now that God will begin the arduous process of shaping us and who we're going to be going forward. It's now that as we emerge from the fire, that God places us on the anvil and begins shaping us into something new, forming us, transforming us. Because now is a critical time for all of us. It's today that we will be shaped into who we will be going forward. In other words, we're all extremely pliable right now. As we've come out of this season together, kind of been melted down, had some things removed, had some things exposed. And so whatever and wherever you find yourself, now is the crucial time to allow God to do what God does. So whatever we place our hope in will be extremely formative. Romans chapter 5 says it this way. Through him, that is Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this is the good news for us in this time that we find ourselves in because no matter how well you did or didn't do in the last 18 or so months, whether you made it through 2020 unscathed, whether you feel like you just tripped and fell time after time after time, However, the, today, the you of today compares to the you of last year, however it went for you, it doesn't matter because you have a living hope. You have a living Savior. We have a living hope in Jesus whose mercies are new every morning, who is a gracious, loving, patient Savior 
who is committed to this business of redemption and healing and restoring. And so as one last appeal, brothers, sisters, may we all turn to Jesus in this crucial time. May we all look to Jesus, hope in Jesus, so that he might conform us, transform us, shape us into the image of his son as we all try to follow Jesus together in whatever lies next for us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you um, that you are a God who is present to us. That in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of uncertainty that you are present to us and with us. So God, may we find our hope in you. May in a time um, where we're all kind of, for lack of a better word, waking back up and kind of re-entering life again in so many different ways, Lord, may we not lose our focus or our, or our hope in you. And may you be um, the person and the force that shapes us and forms us as we walk into the future together. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you guys stand and worship with me? Were the word at the beginning One with God the Lord most high Hidden glory in creation Now revealed in you our Christ What a beautiful name what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, well, nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Nothing compares to this What a 
So if you have, uh, it should be communion elements, sorry, um, somewhere near you in the seat in front of you. I'm going to come over here. I invite you to grab those communion elements. We continue reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. We read this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy quick word on that line there for you shall be holy for I am holy really the thrust of this argument here is set apart be different be set apart and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Don't put your hope in perishable things, in circumstances, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And so this is our hope. The precious blood of Christ, his body broken for us, 
his life, death, and resurrection, a living Savior, a living hope. May it shape us, form us, transform us, and renew us. Amen.
today with a benediction from first peter having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of god for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower fails but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You guys are dismissed. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody.